Hi, Revive. Please join me in the reading of today's scripture. The first comes from Proverbs 13.20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Proverbs 17.17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 18.1. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Proverbs 18.24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 27.6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And Proverbs 27.9-10. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. This is the word of the Lord. Revive, we are now in part six of our series, Life-Giving Wisdom. And today, I want to talk about friendships and relationships. Um, what I'm going to say is nothing new or earth-shattering. And if you think about kind of the, the core of what I'm saying, you're going to be thinking like, Pastor Susan is basically preaching from the Bible. We should take our friendships seriously. We should pursue friendships. Um, that's the basic point. But as I said in other things, um, our culture militates in so many different ways, undermines that piece of wisdom. And in so many different ways, we're paying a big price for it. Maybe you personally, but we collectively, corporately, are paying a very big price because people are always about focusing on my life and about us. And it's about like you, this, this sense that I want to run life on my own and I don't need other, body, other people. We even have this term um, needy, this word needy. Um, needy is not a good adjective to be applied to you, right? You know, do you want anybody ever say to you, oh, that, oh, that, that guy, he's really needy. She's really needy. Um, that's not a word that you want applied to us. And that's considered a pretty serious insult because that means you can't, you're not in charge of your own life. You don't have enough strength to be on your own. But um, let me say something to all of you. We're all needy. At some point in your life, you're going to have a need. Needy just means this person has needs and they're big. And they're painful enough that they, turn, they have to turn to other people and they need someone else to come feel you. But let me tell you, say this, everybody at some point in your life, you're going to be needy. And if you are a person right now, you feel hurting or you feel alone or you feel like there's something going on in your life that you wish someone would be there for you. Let me say something right now to you. There's nothing wrong with you. You are perfectly fine. I mean, that's normal. Um, God did not make us to be, you know, like, I don't need anybody. I'm completely, you know, self-sufficient. God did not make us to be sufficient by the self. God made us, actually designed us to need each other. And in this way, friendships are tremendously important. They're not a little important. They're really important. <laughs> it's right up there at the top of the most important things in your life. And so um, you should say to your friends, I need you. And... That's a good way, by the way, if you can find that if a person's really your friend. If they only drink with you or hang out with you, but won't be there for you when you really need them, that's not a friend. Okay?
And, um, and if that's the case, then some of you are going like, maybe I don't have any friends. And if that's the case, then you're in a bad place in life. And there's a huge piece of wisdom and power and blessing is missing from your life. So that's the beginning. Let's get into it. Three parts. Part one, the folly of autonomy and on my own. So that's the real religion of America. I'm going to just say a little something about that. And if you're in our church, you know, you, know, you hear me make this critique all the time. And, and I have no apologies about that, okay? Um, because you need to hear it again and again so that we will repent of it. It's a great foolishness. The folly of autonomy and on my own. Part two, a full life through quality of relationships. A full life through what? Through money? Through success? No. Through quality of relationships. And part three, the most faithful friend ever. We all need a faithful friend. If you have one good faithful friend, you can make it. If you don't have any, you're in trouble. But there is one. We'll get to that. Part one. Um, I want to look at this verse. This is, I gave you a bunch of verses, and this is the most, you know, um, the, the book of Proverbs is sort of like this. Uh, you know, you get, there's a, there's a whole set of um, you know, discourses on wisdom and foolishness or wisdom and folly in chapters 1 through 9. And then chapters 10 through like 29 or so is, is, a, is all these aphoristic verses. It's like one verse and the next thing, you know, there's another one thing, another stuff. I mean, it's like all these different topical. But if you read through them, what you'll begin to see is there are certain themes that come back again and again and again. So that's why I gave you all these verses because these are on the theme of friendship. Now I gave you one one which was the most negative one, and that's the one I want, I want, to, I want to go to first. This is chapter 18, verse 1. This is chapter 18, verse 1, and here's how it goes. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So let me say it again. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. And it's very interesting um, to read that verse in light of what, it's, what we're going on today in this shelter-in-place period when, in a sense, we're all kind of forced to isolate ourselves. And this is God's view of that. Um, and I want to, and I don't know if you remember this, when we first, you know, four months ago, it could seem like a long time ago, you might have heard me regularly um, urging you to connect with each other and I was worried about people's loneliness and anxiety because I knew that we would be isolated. Well, let me give you, this is a, it's not because I'm that smart. <laughs> it's because, the, because God is wise. This is the, the kind of things that his word says. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Now, this is something that, you know, I don't know if you've noticed if there's more fights going on in your household, or if your marriage is grinding more than usual, or if you are more distant from your friends, or if you're distant from God. And let me just offer this to you. If you are isolating yourself because this is the habit of your life, especially because you almost have to now, um, it isn't just that you, know, you isolate yourself. What begins to happen is the only voice going on in your life is your voice. 
So then you seek your own desire. It's always yourself. And then because yourself is, you're always filling yourself with what you want and what you care about and what you think is so right and what you think is so important, you know, what, what begins to happen is you're poisoning yourself against what the Bible says is sound judgment. So then when other sound judgment starts coming at you from various other directions, first of all, you're isolated so you don't hear it. And then you're actually starting to inoculate yourself, corrupt your own mind and heart from being receptive. So I just want, first, let's just be a warning. If there's some stuff going on in your life right now and some of your relationships are starting to grind, you're starting to feel lonely, you're starting to get um, impatient with others and you don't want to listen, um, this, this, is, this might be where you're at. But let me also um, raise this up to another point. This isn't just a shelter-in-place coronavirus problem. This is America. This is, this is the life of, that we've built. And so a number of you heard, may have heard this. I'm gonna, the, the, the top religion in America is not Christianity. It's not even money. I think the most popular religion in America, the real worldview that we want to believe in is autonomy. Or to break it down into the Greek words, auto means self and nomos means law. The law of myself. The rule, I make the rules, I make the law. Everything revolves around self-fulfillment. So those are the things we love, self-fulfillment. I make my own identity. See, all of this stuff is just another way of the religion of autonomy. And you know what this starts to do? This is whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. And you don't have to physically isolate yourself to start to operate according to Proverbs 18.1, which is, this is like, the, bad, the, the worst, bad, foolish way of running your life, you're going to break out against sound judgment. But this is the American way. And I'm kind of old now, <laughs> and so um, I've lived, and it's, this is worse. This is worse than it was 10 years ago. It's worse than it was 20 years ago. And there's all these social scientists studying this. One of the reasons that people are really worried about this, and I don't know if you noticed this, this doesn't have anything to do with if you're a Republican or if you're a Democrat or if you're rich or if you're poor, if you're white or black. And across the board, adults all around who are atheists or Christians, you know what they're getting concerned about? They're getting concerned about social media and the smartphone. And when they look at young people, you know what they're seeing? They're seeing them practice. Whoever isolates himself, seeks his own desire, and breaks out against all sound judgment. You got kids today who are 8 years old and 12 years old and 15 years old. Today, they've never been without a smartphone. Literally, since they were little babies, they've had an iPad or you know, a little Samsung smartphone in front of their eyes. And what they've begun to do is habituate this, isolating themselves, always thinking about what their own um, desire is, and then they break out against their parents. And then they, that intensifies when they become 12 and 15. And now imagine if you've been practicing the foolishness of isolating yourself and seeking your own desire. And then now you break out against sound judgment if you've been doing that ever since you were a little kid. So what's happening is across the spectrum, regardless of political affiliation, race, religion, everybody is starting to see this is really, really bad. The young generation, they're in a really, really bad place, aren't they? Yes. So there's one thing I want to just offer you, uh, brothers and sisters. 
be very, very suspicious of your phone. And if you are one of these people that spends a lot of time on social media, and I want to say this to you, all of you who are you're like Gen Z, I mean, millennials, I mean, Gen Z, you guys are the most comfortable I've ever seen at hanging out with other, your friends through video or through texting. You think that, you know, blah, 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 okay? And then you have all these little emojis and things like that, that I, I don't know how to do, okay? Um, but, and you think you, you have, you're having friendships through this. But really, it's very, it's, it's super controlled. As soon as you don't like what the other person said, you can cut them off. You, you never have to deal with the person's body language. You never, if you're feeling sad, you can hide and be fake. And social media is full of lies. And I'm not talking about political lies. I'm talking about, you know, like Instagram. You put these pictures up and everybody says like, okay, look, I'm eating this food. I'm going on this vacation. And it's like this total garbage lie that everybody's having a happy life. And what's happening is then you think everybody around you has got it going on good and you're connected to them through this thing. But really, it's a, it's, it's a total, like, it's, it's like it used to be when I was younger, you'd get together and you have to put on a happy face and you have to put on a fake facade when you get in, you know, in physically in the presence of other people. But today, the younger generation puts on that fake facade through social media and through the phone. It's not good. It's not good. I want you to just think about this very, very seriously. And you may want to just check this every now and then. Every now and then, just put the phone away. Don't touch your social media. Don't do all this stuff. Just put it away. A whole day, if you can stand it. And maybe you should just go through a fast a whole week. And then why don't you try having, practicing real friendship. I would call it real friendship. It's harder today, I know, because we can't. But please be suspicious. Now, I want to um, offer you a, a couple other points. You know, some of you who, who are, maybe if you're, you're attending our service today, you're going, well, this is all Bible stuff, and he's using only one verse. Not really. So I know some of you think that, um, you know, we have to convey the, the wisdom of the world. Well, the wisdom of the world isn't greater than God, but sometimes it's helpful if you can see that some of the best scholars today are starting to see these problems. There's a book that I want to um, tell you about. It came out in 2000, 20 years ago. And it was called Bowling Alone. Have you ever heard of this book? Have any of you ever heard of this book? If you're off to college, you may ever, ever take a class on like American history or community making or something like this. This will probably be one of the books. Bowling Alone was written by Robert Putnam, and the subtitle is The Collapse and Revival of American Community. And what he did was, he's, he's, a, he's, he's, you know, he's at the top of the profession. He's, he's at Harvard. He's a social scientist, and then he studied American community over the ages, you know, over, the, over decades. And this really kind of hit a nerve. Throughout the history of America, America is a strongly individualistic country. We believe in freedom, and the freedom is about, you know, and there's always this tension between freedom and community. And America has generally had a genius, and this goes all the way back to the late 18th century, um, a guy uh, named Alexis de Tocqueville, a really brilliant Frenchman, came to America and said, what is this democracy in America? And he, and he, and he observed it, and then he wrote this brilliant book called Democracy in America. 
Because in France, you know, they just got rid of their king and said, let's see how the Americans do it. And he made this incredible observation, which throughout every generation of America, and then people who come from other countries and come to America, they make the same observation, and they basically agree with Alexis Tocqueville, which is that Americans have a genius for what they call voluntary association. So that means you ch we choose, we voluntarily choose to associate and gather together. And so what they mean, um, the most common one, is, of course, is church. So the social scientists call church voluntary association. But um, there's other things. Little League is voluntary association. Um, the Kiwanis Club, the Rotary Club, <laughs> Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, uh, all these kinds of things. And then so the one that, um, that Robert Putnam studied was bowling leagues. So I don't know if you know this, but apparently in the 1950s, bowling leagues were the rage all around America. You know, you, you might go to church on Sunday, and then you would go to your bowling league and, and, you know, during bowling season, and you'd hang out with your buds. And then what will happen? But over the course of time, uh, people start getting so much more radically individualistic, and communities start falling apart. And the way Robert Putnam said is, there's a big, big indicator in America is that people used to bowl together, and now they bowl alone. Um, when I was in high school, there were certain nights, if I want to go bowling with some buddies, because I don't know if that's you guys, probably, I don't know if any of you guys go bowling, okay? But that was one fun thing you could do. We'd go bowling with some buddies. There were certain nights you go to the bowling alley and you wouldn't be able to get a lane. Why? Because there'd be a bowling club there and they'd take up half or almost all the lanes. All those would be reserved for them and it makes sense. The bowling alley would say, okay, we reserve this because these guys come every single week. They pay every week. And you couldn't get a lane. And so you just better avoid that night. And today, if you go to a bowling alley, well, to, they're actually starting to close down now, maybe because of the coronavirus, but they're also just closing down because they don't have enough business because people are bowling alone. And this is an indicator of what's going on. Now, let me bring out, uh, uh, ever since Robert Putnam wrote this book, he, this phrase came into, the educated folks in America, came, they came up with this new phrase. And this phrase became popular since Robert Putnam's book, and that's this, social capital. You ever heard this thing? Social capital. And here's what social capital means. So, you know, we all want capital. Who doesn't want capital? That means you want riches, something that enriches your life. So let me ask you this question. What capital do you seek? Well, for the most part, you seek, you seek things like a college degree. You seek certificates. You seek a promotion. You seek money. That's the most, that's the most common capital that we want. And then, but all these things, you know, if you have a, if you have a high, do you know that if you have a high score on, on, your, uh, on your credit report, that you can get money. Because you have a high score, you can now borrow money, and now you have money, and now you can go make money. This is all part of capital. But what Robert Putnam and a lot of um, social scientists, they looked at America and said, this thing of voluntary association, it's falling apart in America. Because everybody's going to isolate themselves and seek their own desire. And so community has become a difficult and painful thing in America. And what, the, what, is so, what is social capital? That means you have a lot of people in your life that care. You have connections. Some of the connections are loose. Maybe it's just 
a neighbor, a neighbor in your life. So they're not a close friend with you. You don't hang out with them, but they know you and they trust you enough that if you ask them for a favor, they'll do something for you. You know, that, that's a pretty low level of social capital. And then, of course, there are higher levels of social capital. And, as, and of course, if you go more and more, like, I mean, just for example, like uh, my next door neighbor, we went on a trip not too long ago, and I just knocked on his door. It's, it's, this, it's this really nice Chinese couple. And, um, and I asked him, hey, Howard, that's his name. Howard, uh, we're going on a little trip. Would you take in my trash <laughs> after they pick it up? And he said, oh, no, heck, no problem. And he did. That's social capital. So I got this problem. I don't want my trash can out there, you know, I, but I don't, and I don't want to leave it in my house. That's a pretty low level of social capital. But what if, um, what if you need to go to special doctor's appointments and you need a ride in the middle of the week and your husband or your wife or your brother wasn't around? Who could you turn to? Who could you turn to? What if your child got sick and was sent to the hospital and the doctors could not or their teacher could not reach you? Who could they call? See, this is social capital. What if your marriage gets into a bad place and you start getting depressed about it? Who could you talk about that? I'm not even talking about advice or counseling. I'm just talking about someone to be sad with you. Who could you go to? This is social capital. If you have very low social capital, and so the science, social sciences study this. So this isn't, I'm not making, so this is, this is empirical, and this isn't like, I'm not just, this isn't just one study. Whole big books have been written on this, citing tons and tons and tons of studies. And let me just, I'll just give you the summary. People with low social capital. In other words, not enough connections. Not enough people that they can turn to. Here's what happens. Anger, addiction, vulnerability to anger and addictions, depression, self-harm, suicide, all these things go up. And all around the country, all this is going up. And you know why all this is going up? Because whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire and he breaks out against all sound judgment because I'm on my own. I'm autonomous. I don't need anybody. I'm not needy. I don't need church. That's for weak people. I don't need God. Just like that guy I thought was my friend. I don't even need him. Oh, you know, it's like, I don't need a boyfriend. I can make it on my own. I don't need a husband. I can make it on my own. Can you? Can you? Let's go to part two. A full life through quality of relationships. So I'm just giving you kind of a little bit more modern language for the way the Bible puts it. Let's look at some of these verses. Let's look at some of these verses. So Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the commandment of fools will suffer harm. So first, you've got to walk with people. And hopefully they're wise. And... One of the wisdom is, they're the kind of person that walk with you. They won't just drink with you. They'll cry with you. They'll be with you. And maybe they'll offer you 
some wisdom. And one of the wisdom they could offer you, and this is important, is how about listening? Oh, they'll listen. They'll be there. Huh. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Um, I've actually, uh, you know, our, our, our sister Christy, many of you know she, she's, she's, a, she's, a, she's an adjunct professor in, in Christian counseling at the local seminary. And, uh, she and you know, she and I have been friends for a long time. And she told me many years ago um, that people shouldn't just have one child because if they only have one child, they'll be an only child and they won't have a brother or a sister. A friend loves an old test and a brother is born for adversity. So I'm not trying to, you know, you know, couples, if you have only one child, I'm not trying to make you, you know, have another child, but that's something to think about. The social science has actually figured out exactly what the Bible says. And, and um, I've known plenty of parents who have had two kids. You know why? They say, and then they urge those kids to get along with their brother or their sister, especially when they fight. They said, one of these days we won't be around. And who will be there for you if you don't get along with your sister? A sister is born for adversity. But a real friend, verse 17, 17, a friend loves at all times. If they're only a friend when it's, things are going well, they're not a friend. So let, let me give you another tip. If you have 500 Facebook friends, how many of those 500 will love and be there at all times? So you know that that number isn't 500, of course, right? And if that number, if you don't have any, I'll bet some of you, that's a really painful thing. You're like, I don't know, I might have zero. 500 Facebook friends, but zero real friends. If you have one, you are blessed. If you have more than one, you have a strong life. <laughs> you have a strong life. And so, all right, let's go to a couple more. Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin. So this is interesting. You can have a lot of companions, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I hope that there's a friend like that in your life. There actually is. And that friend is actually God. We'll talk about that friend. And, but I hope you have a friend who is you know, a more physically present human friend that you can say this about. There's a friend who sticks closer than even a brother. Today, this is really, really important actually because we live in such a mobile society. Um, you probably don't near, live near your family anymore. So you go away to college and then you never come back to, and then your brother goes away to college. I'm actually really blessed because my brother lives, you know, 20 minutes from me. So if I ever really, really need him, I could, I could go there. But I actually often hang out more and am actually closer to a lot of the brothers and sisters in my church since my brother's life is even though he's 20 minutes away. But if your brother or your sister is a thousand miles away, well, now you really need a, a friend who sticks closer than your brother and your sister. Let's uh, look at a few more verses. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Your friend can tell you hard things. And it might hurt. 
But if you say, how can you say that to me? And you won't receive it, then maybe you can't tell the difference between a friend and your enemy. Your enemy might only say nice things to you or profuse are the kisses of an enemy, but a real friend will, might sometimes sting you because they care enough to sting you. You need that kind of friend. 27.9, oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. The words of a friend, the laughter of a friend. C.S. Lewis wrote this incredible book, Four Loves. And one of the loves is, you know, phileo. It's, it's this friendship. And I think C.S. Lewis considered that about as deep a friendship, as deep a love as you can find apart from the love of God. And one of the things he used to say is he says his favorite sound in the world was the laughter of men. It's interesting. Why? Because he had this really close set of friends and when they would drink and they would smoke and they would laugh and they would talk about books and then, you know, some of these friends were brilliant guys. They wrote some of the most incredible books. They would laugh and this would make his life sweet. You have that in your life? Verse 27.10. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend. It's interesting. So even... Not just your friend, but how about the friends, your father's friend? How, in other words, friends of friends, friends of your family. Do not forsake them and do not go to your brother's house on the day of your, this is really interesting. Do not go to your brother's house on the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. It goes back to your point. Sometimes you have your brother and of course your family is supposed to be there for you. But... Um, it's better to have a friend who is near. And I think that just that doesn't only mean physically near, but they are near to you in your heart. Your friend who is near to you in your heart is actually better and more important. And you have more social capital, let's put it that way, the secular American way of talking about it, than your brother who is far away, even if he's physically close, but if he's emotionally, relationally, if the quality of that relationship is low, then you need a friend who's actually going to be more of your brother. Now, let me say a few other things about this. Um, I want to talk about this. Um, where do you get real abundance in your life? I already talked about this, but I want to just say this a little bit more pointedly. Money, is that the social capital that you care about? Money, achievements, comfort, status. You got a big pile of money. You're going to be all good for your retirement. Is that the capital you're interested in? It's actually better to be poor and to have people who care about you. You're like, I don't know I'm going to have retirement. But your marriage is good. Your relationship to your son is good. Your relationship to your friend, you have a best friend. And there's no way that best friend will allow you to starve or hurt even though you don't have enough money in your retirement. And you'll have joy and you have somebody there when you're hurting. Let me offer this question. How do you gain good friends? So some of you may wonder, I don't have any good friends. How do you gain good friends? I'm going to give you the secret of it. It's not that complicated, um, but it's not that easy. So you wait, ready? How do you gain good friends? Okay, here it is. You wait, you know, wait for it. Be a good friend. You want real friends? 
then be one. You have to put your friendships higher than what's convenient to you. It's like your friend needs you. It's inconvenient. Well, of course it's inconvenient. <laughs> because, you know, our life is so filled with me, my time, my career, my favorite Netflix show, my music, all the things you want to do for you to fulfill your life. And then all of a sudden your friend needs you. It's inconvenient. Of course it's inconvenient. Will you choose your convenience? Will you be there for your friend? How about this? Will you be there for your friend's friend? So they're not even that close to you. But they're your friend's friend. So your friend cares about this friend. So your father cares about this friend. Your brother in Christ cares about this friend. Your sister in Christ cares about this friend. So in other words, your friend cares about this friend. You're not close to this friend. But will you go put yourself out there and be a friend towards someone who's not even your friend for your friend? That's being a friend. <laughs> if you'll be like that, you'll get friends. Let me ask you this question. Some of you go like, I'm lonely, I don't have a lot of friends. In all of the relationships in your life, I want you to think about this. Do you regularly feel like somebody else has been bad to you? Somebody else is, is at fault. That relationship is bad because dad is mean, mom is bad, my sister is selfish. Oh, my cousin was always a jerk. My roommate was bad. They always want this from me. They're always trying to rip me off. They lied. They let me down. My boss was trying to take me. My coworker, you know, stabbed me in the back because it's always after, you know, like, you know, brown nosing the boss. So when you look at people, do you always look at them as glass half empty and you always see what's bad about them so you have no trust? You never trust somebody else. Well, let me tell you, they won't trust you. Let me put it another way. Rick Warren once said this. He says, how do you get people to trust you? I remember this. It was such a profound thing. He said, trust them first. You want people to trust you? Then trust them. But what if they're dangerous? What if they hurt you? What if they let you down? Well, of course they will. Because they're sinners. And you've got to be careful, of course, and you have to have some wisdom about this. But if your wisdom is you don't trust anybody, and you look at everybody as glass half empty and maybe a lot less than empty and like totally empty, then of course you're not going to have any friends and you're not going to have any social capital. You are going to be in big trouble. And then it's just a matter of time now before some bad ideology that you're, you're liable to be angry, you're liable to be judgmental, and then some bad ideology is going to come to you through social media and then you're going to believe in a bad religion. You're going to believe in a bad cause. You're going to judge everybody else. And then you're going to become angry. And you're going to be in trouble. So, brothers and sisters, be a good friend. One more point before I go to the close of my message. All right. You know where it's... So, this isn't just the preacher saying this. A lot of great social, social scientists have actually studied this. So, let's go back to Robert Putnam, who's really a superb social scientist despite the fact that he's at Harvard, okay? <laughs> All right, okay, I have a bias against Harvard. Um, but he, um, he wrote a book 10 years later in 2010. The book is called American Grace. And he basically talked about how the different ways that religion divides America, but he also says the ways that they unite America. And he came to the same conclusion many, many other social scientists have come to across the years, and this is the conclusion. 
you know, one of the best ways to get social capitalists, in other words, the best, one of the best ways to get more and more friends in your life and then to learn how to practice being a good friend? Okay, I'll wait for it. Go to church. Don't just go to church. Be a part of church. So, pastor, I'm not really good at being friendship. I just let all my friendships go or... You know, when they come out of my life, I don't really care about them anymore. And I regularly, and you wonder why, you know, there's a lot of hurt in your life. But a lot of people don't want to put up with church. There's too many hypocritical people there. Well, then just join the club because you're probably hypocritical too. Oh, there, there's too many people fake there that they just want to get your money. See, there, there goes all that suspiciousness again, which is not true. If the church is good, they're not just interested in your money. Actually, the churches that people really give money to, you know what's happening? They're receiving so much friendship and blessing that they want to give back in every way. They want to give their money. They want to give their time. They want to give their listening. They want to give their volunteering. They want to give their talents. I think that's happening in our church. It's not that we're like the best church in the world, but I would say we're a good church. In an average good church, in an average good church, here are some of the things you need. First, you have to have some humility. You have to have hope that this person could be trustworthy and could be a blessing to you and that if you bless them, they won't stab you. How about this? You have to have forgiveness. You have to have repentance. So you hurt somebody and they tell you, you hurt me, you let me down. How could you have done that to me? And then you hear it and say, I'm really sorry. You're right. That was really callous of me. That was really mean of me. That was really self-righteous. We had this argument and I just had to be right. And so I had to put you down. I just had to win. And you can learn that actually winning the argument is losing. It's losing. Do you know that? A lot of times when you win, you got to win. That's one of the problems with the politics in America today. Everybody always got to feel like they had to win. It'd be really nice if they learned to lose. I'll give you this, and I'll listen, and maybe we can come up with a better plan. So fighting to the death. But in the church, we have the God who lost so he could win us. That's the God we follow. So, we receive forgiveness, mercy, hope. There's a kind of optimism. We trust each other. We practice trusting each other. We practice going out of our way for each other. And so, brothers and sisters, don't neglect church. You want to have a rich life? You want real friends? Even Robert Putnam thinks so. Robert Putnam may be and so many other people are basically saying, why is America in such big trouble? It's because they don't have enough social capital. You know one of the best places to get social capital? Church. It's a real secular reason, but it's wise. And uh, one more plug in our church before I go to the close of my message. I know we're in a break from our small groups. We call this Gospel Life Families. You need that family. You need those friends. You knew those friends who was your brother 
And then you need to say, I will be your sister. I will be your friend. I will be a friend that's even better than your actual blood brother. That's what we're practicing. In GLFs, that's what we're practicing. We're not good at it. And then this is what we're gaining. We're gaining these friendships. We need these friendships. Everybody needs these friendships. So brothers and sisters, please don't just go to GLF when it's convenient to you. Or like, oh, I'm just going to miss because, you know, I'm just Commit. Commit to GLF. Commit to discipleship. In our life on life, commit to each other. Commit. And you'll become rich and have a powerful life. Okay, let's close. All right, all this was good wisdom. And some of you are going, I've never experienced this. I've never, been, I've never tasted this. Or I don't know. All my friends let me down. I'm so sad. I want to say this to you today right now, especially if you are, if you're suicidal. You have this thought in your head. You're always on your own and you get this thought in your head that maybe nobody cares about you. That thought, you, it's coming from you. It's not coming from you. It's coming from the devil. That's another reason why being on your own all the time is like you're just listening to your own voice. Sometimes it's not your own voice. Cut yourself. Self-harm. If you're in this place, please hear me. Please, please, please hear me. There is a friend. And for all those of you who don't, you don't even think about self-harm, there is a friend. If you don't have a good human friend that can be a friend that is, sticks closer than a brother. So let me give you one more verse. And I'll close with the good news of the gospel. For foolish people who don't know how to have friendships, who are bad at friendships, there's a friendship, it's the best friend. So here's this verse, Proverbs 20, verse six. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. People have like married, because I'm gonna marry this woman. She will be faithful to me, and we find out sometimes that's not true. You, have a, a, you may have had a friend that you thought was gonna be your best friend, and then 10 years later, you, you can't stand this person anymore. But there is a friend who will literally go to hell, who will be tortured for you. And you know who I'm talking about. And he offers you a friendship. It's the best news there is. If you would receive this friendship and go talk to this friend, and go be with this friend, you will become closer and closer to the best friend you could possibly ever have. Better than any of your friends, better than your spouse, better than your best friend, you will have the greatest friend. You know who I'm talking about, the Son of God, Jesus. He didn't just, it's not just cheap talk, it's not a fake promise, he literally went to the darkest place. And then he says, your darkest place. See that cross? That cross is the darkest place that's ever been. Picture a darkest place up there. I went there for you. And then on the other side of the cross, I'll offer you my friendship. And it'll be light and joy and laughter and sweetness forever. Always. Even when you're dark, I'll cry with you and help you conquer 
all that is hard. I'm going to close by giving you some lyrics. Okay? So, since I'm so old, I know an old song. Some of you guys think an old song is like from like 2005. Okay? You go, oh, that song's old, man. You know, whenever I hear that, it's like, that makes me laugh. And so, I don't know, like our, our brother Andy, when, he, um, when he, he leads praise, he picks old songs, like old from like back in like 1995. Okay, so old. But this song is really old. This song goes back to, um, I think it's the 19th century. 1800s, my goodness. So I grew up with this song. It's a hymn. And it is, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And um, when I was growing up, my parents, you know, of course, just, my parents are these traditional Korean Presbyterians, and they sang the same songs from the same hymn books. So I grew up with these songs, and I listened to them in Korean, and then I finally heard the words in English, and when I finally heard the words in English, I said, wow, those words are really good. And it took me a while to realize, I used to think, man, these old songs are so good. Their lyrics are so good. It's not that they're all, they had lots of bad songs. I, I went off to seminary and listened, sang some old songs. I was like, this song is terrible. <laughs> it's like, these this were the hymns that nobody wanted to listen to anymore and sing anymore, but I don't know, the Korean hymn book, they picked like the best hymns and then they sang them again and again and again and then when I learned them in English, they were words of the gospel, powerful words. So I want to give you this one. What a friend we have in Jesus. Listen. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Let me just stop for a moment. You know what prayer is? It's conversation with this friend. You know, um, Young's one of my closest friends. I don't call it prayer, we just talk. You want to have conversation with this friend? We call it prayer. But it's really all it is. It's conversation to this friend. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Oh, because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to Jesus in conversation. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrow share? Jesus knows your every weakness. Take it to him in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to Jesus in prayer. And here's this one. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? 
Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou, you, will find a solace there. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the friend that's closer than a brother. And you are the friend that loves at all times. Even when we stab you, you are faithful ever when we are faithless. And when all our friends forsake us, when we find out that the person we called our friend is not a friend, you will listen and you will be our refuge and our solace if we turn to you. We thank you for being this kind of friend, this kind of savior in Jesus' name. Amen.